0: We are about to begin our study, and any time we get into the Lord's Word, we want to uh, have prayer first. We want to ask the Holy Spirit uh, to be the one who is in charge of our study, uh, the one who guides us through and uh, uh, gives us discernment. So let's uh, seek the Lord together in prayer. I invite you to bow your heads with me and your hearts, please, at this time. Father in heaven, we do thank you so very, very much. We thank you for this holy Sabbath day. The opportunity has come again, Lord, for us to come together on your most holy day and uh, to worship thee, uh, to uh, seek uh, wisdom and knowledge from thee, to seek uh, the blessings that you have promised. Lord, we know we're not worthy, uh, but you have promised it to us. You show us mercy and love, and we appreciate it so very, very much. And so it's good to be together on this Sabbath day. We pray that we will be um, guided as we study through the Bible here, our topic about what about a sin in church. We want to know what you have to tell us about such things and how to deal with such things. So we need the Spirit's guidance. We pray, Lord, that you will send angels uh, to be with us as we worship together. And uh, we pray that you will be with those who may still be on Uh, traveling to houses of praise and worship. Give them travel mercies. We also lift up before you uh, our sister, Jerry, who's going through a very hard time. We pray that you will bless her, be very near to her, and give her peace of heart. And those on our prayer list, those who are recovering from surgeries or dealing with health issues, we pray that as the great physician you may touch them according to thy will and heal them, Lord, so they may sing praises to thy name. And Father... We pray and humbly ask uh, from contrite hearts that you will forgive us our sins. We claim the blood that Jesus shed there at Calvary uh, for our sins and ask for forgiveness. And we so appreciate Jesus and what he has done and what he continues to do to prepare his people for his soon return. May we be among them. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. And amen. I want to spend a a couple of moments just to just to, a little bit of time um in review of what we've learned about dealing with sin in the church before I get into some questions about failed efforts uh of reconciliation. And that's what what this is all what we've been talking about. That's what it's all about. It's about reconciling uh uh differences, not only differences, But to to rid sin from the church, uh, to pull people out of sin, Jesus came to save his people from their sins, and uh, he's given us principles to use to do that. And so that's what we've been talking about, and and that's a, a, a reconciliation process. And so before I get into some questions about failed efforts in those regards within and with the church, um, I want to review just a little bit. You know, I I learned a life lesson, uh, well, actually several life lessons from uh, my coaches when I was young, and I, I participated in sports. I actually excelled in sports uh, long before I was a Christian, uh, and, and that is uh, one of the things that I learned from them is that the fundamentals are what will get you through the tough spots. So I was drilled every day in practice uh, with the fundamentals of the game and found by experience then that my coaches were right. You know, It did help to get through some tough spots. Now, this is during games. But God teaches the same thing in the Bible about fundamentals. If we understand the fundamentals of God's word, they will get us through the tough spots in our life. And we all are going to have tough spots in our life. And this is important for us to believe, friends, because this particular topic is a very hard one uh, in my experience, and I've preached on it a number of times. It, it is a very hard one for many church members to hear. And if applicable to their church, it's very hard for them to accept and sad to say it's applicable to most all church organizations today. And I, and I say that it is very, very sad. It, it grieves one's heart, and I know it grieves God's heart. Um, and friends, I say this with all sincerity. Uh, we are at a place in time, in the time of this earth's history, the latter times, where we need to be eating the meat of God's word, and we need to be off the milk. And this subject is most definitely meat, as it really takes honesty, we have to learn to be honest with ourselves and where we are, and where we belong, and it takes discernment, given by the Holy Spirit, to grasp, actually, the seriousness of it. You know, in speaking of Christ, and let's remember... Where Christ is, there is his church. Uh, But in speaking of Christ, Paul said in Hebrews chapter 5, verses 11 to 14, he said, Of whom we have many things to say, and hard to be uttered, seeing ye are dull of hearing. That means you kind of have closed ears to it. We're human beings. We don't like to hear bad news. We don't like to hear things that are wrong, you know, right? Right? Isn't that true? I mean, I don't. I like, somebody says I got good news and bad news. I say, Give me the good news. I don't want to hear the bad news, you know. Um, But he says, We're dull of hearing. For when for the time ye ought to be teachers, ye have need that one teach you again, which be the first principles of the oracles of God, and are become such as have need of milk, and not of strong meat. For everyone that useth milk is unskillful in the word of righteousness, for he's a babe but strong meat belongeth to them that are of full age, even those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. Now, i found that uh, most members of a church that's in sin will not take it serious. They won't take it as uh, uh, seriously as they should, and that greatly saddens me. Uh, And as I said, I know it saddens God's heart. So, before we begin, I I say, let's take it seriously. Okay? Let's take this seriously. And eat the meat of what God's telling us. You know, as it says in Revelation 3, uh, verse 19, Jesus says, As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Too often, we, we consider the rebuke and chastening... And we miss the part where he says that he loves us. (laughs) Okay? And this is why he's doing it. We miss that. But he says, as many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. He says, be zealous, therefore, and repent. In verse 22, he says, he that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. So, friends, let's listen to what the Spirit is telling us about a a church in sin. Amen? Amen? Let's do that. Now, in the last few studies, we in this sin issue, we're looking at the sin issue. We looked at the biblical principles where we are to use to deal with sin in the church. So we looked at what Jesus commanded us to do in Matthew chapter five. We looked at Matthew chapter eighteen, for example. You know, we're to go to the brother who has trespassed against us, where whether it is a sin of ignorance. You know, he he didn't really know he was doing it or whether it was, you know, sin or iniquity. We're to go to him and tell him his sin between just the two of you, right? And if he won't hear you, you take a couple witnesses that are credible, uh, trustworthy, spirit-filled, and you try again. And if he still refuses uh, to hear, you then go to the church with it. You take it to the church. Responsibility passes then from you to the church, the church then has the responsibility to address the sin issue with the brother. And we covered how it goes from there. But let's say that after taking it to your local church, you find that the church is indifferent to the situation. Or the church refuses, let's say the church refuses to do their duty in dealing with the sin issue between the two of you. You know, knowing what Paul says in Romans 6 and verse 23, remember he says, for the wages of sin is what? Is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. But knowing that the wages of sin is death, we know this is a serious matter, don't we? It's a life and death matter. You know, for not just the one in sin, but possibly for others, and maybe even the local church, or maybe even that that particular church denomination. This kind of non-action by a church shows something about the spiritual condition of it, doesn't it? It's the same with individuals. When we sin, it shows something about what's in our hearts, doesn't it? When we are indifferent, it shows something about us. Uh, The way we dress, there's a good example, right? The way we dress tells something about us inside, right? Because what's inside us will be reflected by what we do outside. So, this kind of a non-action by a church towards sin within its midst shows something about the spiritual condition of that church. So, if the church fails in its responsibility, you know, you've taken it to the church, what can you do as someone that wants to follow Jesus? Do you just let it go? and move on? I mean, you've done your duty, right? You've taken it to the church, and it's out of my hands now. Is that what you do? Well, unfortunately, that's the attitude with so many uh, of God's professed people today. But is it right to move on without dealing with the sin and reconciling with the brother if it's possible? According to the Bible, no. No. He could lose his eternal life. And we've learned that God would have the sin dealt with, right? Or what would be the point of following what he commanded in Matthew 5 and 18? There'd be no point to it. Now, when we talked about who and what the church was in our series, This is My Body, Defining God's Church, uh, we discovered that most churches today are set up organizationally as hierarchies. This is not the biblical plan, but most of them are set up as hierarchies. And so, the odds are that you're in a church like that. And so you can, you know, if if you're not getting satisfaction, if your local church isn't doing what they're supposed to do, what their duty is, uh, you can go up the ladder, right? You can go up the ladder, you can appeal the matter. When it's evident that that local church is failing its duty. Now, the Adventist church is the same type of organization today, it's hierarchical, sad to say. So, you know, if you're an Adventist, you can appeal to the seasoned brethren of other churches for help in the matter because maybe your church is in error. Maybe your local church is in error and it needs to be corrected, right? But if that fails... Well, then you can go up the ladder a little morning and appeal to the next level of, of leadership. You can go to the conference and make an appeal there. You, You know, no satisfaction. You can go to the union. You see where I'm going with this? As a hierarchy, you go up. Okay? Let's say that the church listens to your side with your witnesses and listens to the brother who is in error if he shows up. A lot of times that doesn't happen um but uh, uh he listens the church listens to to their side of the story and let's say that the church decides that you're both wrong <laughs> now that would be okay right that would be okay if and as long as there was repentance uh from all and then you could move on and be, and because there was reconciliation and the sin was dealt with you know everything would be fine you could move on with that and the same can be said if the church decides that just, you're wrong. I mean, maybe you and the witnesses misunderstood something. So you see, this this uh, um, these principles that Jesus laid out, there's many facets to it that protect. It's like checks and balances, I said. It's checks and balances for the church and for you, and it's about reconciling. So maybe you and your witnesses Maybe you misunderstood something. I mean, that's a possibility. Remember that we are to have a teachable spirit, aren't we? We're to be open to the promptings of the Holy Spirit. And so, that's uh, a possibility that we could be wrong. And so, we listen to the counsel of seasoned brethren who are full of wisdom, and we listen to the church. You remember what Jesus said? We were looking at Matthew 18. And remember what Jesus said concerning uh, the decision of the church in that matter. Matthew 18, verse 18. He said, Verily I say unto you, whatsoever ye shall bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatsoever ye shall loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Remember he said that? And remember what Paul said in 1 Timothy 3.15, what he said to Timothy. He said, the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. Right? So you listen to the seasoned brethren. You trust them. And so by faith, you'd listen to what the church says. And if it's sound, if it's true, then you're faithful and you submit to the council and things are reconciled. But what do you do if you are correct concerning the sin issue? (laughs) You weren't in error, you've done your duty. You have followed correct counsel as led by the Holy Spirit and the Word of God, and you've taken it as far as you can, and the church does nothing about it. Again, I'll say, this is a very serious thing, isn't it? What would you think about the condition of your church if that was the case? Would your church still be the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth? If sin is ignored in its midst? These are pretty serious questions, aren't they? Let me remind you of some quotes here. Let me share some quotes with you. Upward Look, page 206. Arduous and unpleasant duties have to be performed. None are to place themselves where they will sanction wrong by silence. Silence. They aid and abet the schemes of the enemy by keeping their lips closed when they should speak decidedly. Remember, let's say your church is indifferent to it and nothing is done. They're failing at their duty. And here we see, they're not to be silent about it. It tells us something about that church, the condition of that church, doesn't it? Uh, Here's another one. Review and Herald article, The Laodicean Church, September 30th, 1873. If God abhors one sin above another of which his people are guilty, it is of doing nothing in a case of emergency. Indifference or neutrality, she says, indifference means you don't care, right? You really not, don't care one way or the other. Indifference or neutrality in a religious crisis is regarded of God as a grievous crime. That's pretty strong. And she goes on and says, an equal to the very worst type of hostility against god it's a very serious issue isn't it here's one more testimonies for the church volume 3 page 65 he that's god shows us that when his people are found in sin they should at once be uh, should at once take decided measures to put that sin from them that his frown may not rest upon them all. But if the sins of the people are passed over by those in responsible positions, his frown will be upon them. And the people of God, as a body, will be held responsible for those sins. Remember, we talked about corporate responsibility, corporate accountability, corporate sin. This is that principle right here. The church as a body will be held responsible for those sins. In his dealings with his people in the past, the Lord shows the necessity of purifying the church from wrongs. One sinner may diffuse darkness that will exclude the light of God from the entire congregation. Here's another one. There's one more. Testimonies for the Church. Again, Volume 3, this time page 266. If wrongs are apparent among his people, and if the servants of God pass on indifferent to them, they virtually sustain and justify the sinner, and are alike guilty, and will just as surely receive the displeasure of God, for they will be made responsible for the sins of the guilty. I think you're getting the picture here. You can't, the church is failing in its responsibility to deal with sin. They become guilty. And so if you find yourself in that kind of a situation, uh, that kind of experience may just awaken you to the realization that your church leaders are as Isaiah said, you know, Isaiah 56.10. He said, His watchmen are blind, they are all ignorant, they are all dumb dogs, they cannot bark, sleeping, lying down, loving to slumber. And if you find yourself in that kind of a situation, what do you do? Is there anything you can do? Well, let me tell you uh, that this is not an easy position to be in as a church member, is it? And unfortunately, we're seeing these situations happening in churches all over the world today. The churches are filled with confusion, you know, about sin and how to deal with sin. They're filled with confusion. And what's the definition of Babylon, by the way? Isn't it confusion? <laughs> right? It's, it's con- to confuse by mixing. And in the case of Babylon, it's mixing truth and error. Uh, you know, friends, it's one thing to know that within the church are the wheat and the tares, but altogether another thing when the tares control the church and are dead to the sins in the church. Now, they... And, and when open sin is exalted. There are churches today that exalt open sin. We we see it today with the acceptance and even ordaining of the LGBT uh, uh, movement members of a particular church. They're even being exalted and ordained. And friends, one thing the Bible tells us over and over, you cannot compromise with sin and think God winks at it. He doesn't. We've learned that in this series. I hope we have. Now let me give you a bit of a different situation, though it's related. <clears throat> what if you've done all you, you're to do, you know, in reconciling and dealing with the sin between, you know, uh, you and another person? You're, you've done Matthew five, you've done Matthew eighteen, and other principles of the Bible, and you've taken it to the church. And instead of the church taking the required steps to deal with the sinner and sin. Let's say that the church actually turns against you instead. Now you're in a real dilemma. What can you do about it? What must you do? Do you remember this statement out of Ministry of Healing, page 485, where it says, Do all that lies in your power without the sacrifice of principle to conciliate others. You remember that statement? It's a very, very profound statement and true statement. We are to do all that lies in our power without the sacrifice of biblical principle to conciliate others. Now, when you get to a church, and a church is failing in its duty to deal with sin, and let's say they're blaming you, you're getting to a point that principle's being sacrificed if you don't take some kind of action due to that indifference of the church or their attack against you. Now, what action must must be taken? Well, let me share this experience with you in case you think, you know, as I've been accused of before, being overzealous about this issue. Uh, some years ago, I was invited to speak at an independent church in Ohio. And I had the opportunity to listen to the testimony of some of the people there who had experienced just this kind of scenario with their former church, these dear souls, they loved the Lord and they were faithful to him, and they wanted to do what he commanded them to do. He wanted to do they wanted to do what was right and do what Jesus would do. They indeed were those who who keep the commandments of God and and they had the faith of Jesus. But one day they retained a new pastor in their former church. And over time, it was discovered that this pastor was routinely breaking the Sabbath. And he was routinely breaking the Sabbath in public. You see, he would stop at restaurants uh, to eat before and after church as he traveled around his circuit. Now, this is clearly profaning the Sabbath day, and it's against the commandments of the Lord. Uh, Now, As a member of this pastor's church, as you discover this, what do you do about such a thing? (laughs) What do you do about it? Well, the pastor has to be approached, doesn't he? According to the word of God, he has to be approached. And so the members went to one of the elders and shared what was happening. They shared about this pastor and what he was doing. And the elder then did his due diligence... Before speaking to the pastor, he fervently prayed. He had several seasons of prayer. He put together scriptures, you know, of what the word of God said about it. Uh, He verified witnesses of what the pastor was doing on the Sabbath. He spoke to members in the other churches within that pastor's circuit. And after he had done all these things he set up a meeting to speak to the pastor and took with him two other elders. Remember what the Bible tells us, First Timothy 5, and verse 19. It says, Against an elder receive not an accusation, but before two or three witnesses. And this is what he was doing. So they had their meeting, and the pastor listened, then explained that he ate out on the Sabbath because he traveled. And it was faster to get something while heading to another church, See? And he shared many other reasons for his uh, behavior, his Sabbath breaking. He then said it was not wrong to do. He told the elders this. It wasn't wrong to do uh, because he's in ministry. (laughs) See? He's in ministry and then he used the gleaning of the field on the Sabbath by the apostles as his scriptural foundation for that behavior. Well, I should say, he misused the scriptures to proclaim that he was obedient to God's commands. That's what he was trying to to say. After his explanations, and, and, uh, and the elders were confirmed by that home pastor's testimony that he was indeed doing these things on the Sabbath, The elders then showed him plain scriptures. They shared with him from the inspired writings, references about the Sabbath, what to do, what not to do, as he really should have already known. I mean, he's a pastor of a church. And the pastor seemed to be receptive to the council. It appeared that a change was taking place. So we see that the process that the Lord has laid out was being followed up to this point, wasn't it? And it appeared that, hey, there's going to be reconciliation. There's going to be repentance. There's going to be a change. Things are being handled. And so there was prayer, and the meeting ended. Sometime later, the leading elder that had approached the pastor was called to meet with the pastor. And he thought, oh, he's, you know, the ball's rolling here. We're going to see some changes and such. And uh, when he when he showed up to the meeting to meet with the pastor, he was met with not only the pastor, but other elders and leaders from the church conference. The group of leaders then proceeded to defend the pastor's Sabbath behavior. And not only did they do that, they accused this elder and those who supported him and spoke against uh, what the pastor was doing, accused them of being troublers, Trying to divide the church. Let me share this from Testimonies for the Church, Volume 4, pages 166 167. Because this is what popped into my mind. So I was recalling this. They are too apt to flatter themselves that the regard in which they hold the commandments will preserve them from the power of divine justice. They refuse to be reproved for evil and charge God's servants with being too zealous in putting sin out of the camp. A sin-hating God. Stop right there and think about that. What kind of God? A sin-hating. We need to come to grips with that in our, our minds, friends. God hates sin. We need to come to grips with that. A sin-hating God calls upon those who profess to keep His law to depart from all iniquity. That's rebellion. Neglect to repent and obey His word will bring as serious consequences upon God's people today, as did the same sin upon ancient Israel. There is a limit beyond which He will no longer delay His judgments. That's very strong testimony. Now, what if you were in a similar situation as that elder and those members? What would you do? I mean, you pointed out sin, right? You prayerfully and dutifully did what the Bible says were to do, and now the church and the church leaders, the conference leaders, you know, going up that hierarchical ladder, are accusing you. Of being the problem in the church. While ignoring the actual sin. What do you do? You know, understandably, that elder left that meeting very upset and confused. I mean, this was God's church, right? This was God's church, and how can they be so blind as to the sacredness of the Sabbath? The sacredness of God's holy law especially being leaders of the church of God. You know, Isaiah says in 56 and verse 11, he says, Yea, they are greedy dogs which can never have enough. And they are shepherds that cannot understand. They all look to their own way, every one for his gain from his quarter. They are greedy dogs. Not only are they dumb dogs that will not bark, they are greedy dogs that never have enough. What was this elder and the others who supported the efforts to rid sin from the church, what were they to do? Well, in this particular case, they began to meet together and study and pray about the situation to make sure they were solid, to make sure that they were on solid scriptural ground concerning their position, to make sure that it was right what they had done, that they followed what the Lord had said to do. Meantime, the elder shows up to teach Sabbath school and he's told by the pastor that he's been removed from every position within the church. The same's told to those faithful who supported this elder in their compassionate rebuke of the pastor. And it didn't end there. A few weeks later, each of these faithful people received a letter from the conference church that that they had been disfellowshipped From the denomination. Disfellowshipped. No procedures. No biblical procedures. No appeal. They received a letter in the mail that they had been disfellowshipped from the church. Isaiah 5 verse 20 says, Woe unto them that call evil good and good evil, that put darkness for light and light for darkness, that put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter, You see, there's a, there's, there's a line here, isn't there, between those who are following Christ and those who aren't. But it's in the church. Notice this from Patriarchs and Prophets, page 634. No matter how zealous men may be in their observance of religious ceremonies, the Lord cannot accept them if they persist in willful violation of one of His commands. He cannot accept them. That's strong language. And what do we read earlier? God hates sin. Now, how do you react to such a thing from, from the church? I mean, the church that you have been told is the apple of God's eye. The church that you've been told, though feeble, God grants His supreme regard. The church that appears to fall, but, well, (laughs) you're either grieved so much that you give in to the dictates of these dumb dogs, and you seek forgiveness from them, or you rethink what you've been taught about the church. It's one or the other. Many, sad to say, submit and jump back into a fallen church because they misunderstand who the church is. They're so ingrained with the teaching that removal from membership in that organization means removal from the book of life that they're afraid. And so they return. But let's say the church has done this to you and you want to go back in and you're repentive and whatever and, and, and the church doesn't accept you back. Are you lost forever because you're no longer on the church membership roll? some think so. You know, I remember talking to Colin Stanish one time and he made the remark that if he was disfellowshipped by the Seventh-day Adventist denomination that he would stand outside the door pleading to be let back in. And I ask, is that what you should do? No, beloved. You follow Jesus, not the church. You follow Jesus. Wherever Jesus is, there is his church. What happened in Ohio is just one of thousands of like instances where the church acted against the commands of the Lord. In our case, why we are no longer a part of our former church, I mean, we tried the reconciliation process, and the conference drew a line. And they told us to stop our outreach, Stop our evangelism. Stop our Bible studies. Stop handing out the book, The Great Controversy. That's unbelievable, isn't it? And we contemplated and we said, in all good conscience, we could not do that, you see, because that would be sacrifice the sacrifice of principle. So we stopped attending church. And we spent weeks, literally, poring over and over Scripture to see if we were mistaken. And if so, where we may have been mistaken. And as we began to sober up after leaving the bar of Babylon, that's the way I describe it. Because when you're in Babylon, friends, when you're in that confusion, by beholding you become changed, you become confused as well. When the Lord calls you out of Babylon, you begin to sober up. You begin to discern things Correctly. And so we learned the truth about who and what the church of God is. And we were relieved to learn that God stands by those who stand by Him. Those who uphold His law by faith, God stands behind. Jesus says in Matthew 10, verses 32 and 33, He says, Whosoever therefore shall confess me before men, him will I confess also before my Father which is in heaven. But whosoever shall deny me before men, Him will I also deny before my Father which is in heaven. It's a two-edged sword, friends. And I was heartened to read in Isaiah 66, 5, these words. Hear the word of the Lord, ye that tremble at His word. Your brethren that hated you, that cast you out for my name's sake, said, let the Lord be glorified, that He shall appear to your joy, and they shall be ashamed. It's coming. It's coming. John 15, verses 20 and 21. Remember the word that I said unto you, the servant is not greater than his Lord. If they have persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they have kept my saying, they will keep yours also. But all these things will they do unto you for my name's sake, because they know not him that sent me. The church. The church that was the apple of his eye. All these things that you learned and was indoctrinated on. You're finding that there's a problem here. They're persecuting those who are keeping the commandments of God. John 16, 1-3 These things have I spoken unto you that you should not be offended. They shall put you out of the synagogues. Yea, the time cometh that whosoever killeth you will think he's doing God's service. And these things will they do unto you because they have not known the Father nor me. My friends, God's not the author author of confusion, is he? The devil is. And he'll trick you into calling evil good and good evil. He'll trick you into calling darkness light and light darkness. Or he'll be completely satisfied if you're just indifferent to it all. Our only safeguard, and I've learned this by experience, and each one of us has to learn it by experience, Our only safeguard is the Word of God. And we must follow that Word no matter where it leads us. For Jesus is walking. And we're told to abide in Him and He's the truth. Truth is progressive. The light is moving closer and closer to heaven and we need to go with it. And those who follow Jesus progress with Him. Amen? They will follow the Lamb wherever He goes, the Bible says in the Signs of the Times, November 8, 1899. Notice these words. Paul writes to the Romans, If it be possible, as much as lies in you, live peaceably with all men. But there is a point beyond which it is impossible to maintain union and harmony without the sacrifice of principle. Separation then becomes an absolute duty. What does she say that our duty is of a church we belong to is asking us to sacrifice biblical principle? If it's asking us to ignore sin in the church? If it's asking us to excuse the sin of its leaders? She says separation then becomes an absolute duty. It's not just a choice. It's not just a preference. You prefer. It's a duty. And why does it then become a duty to separate? What did Paul say about sin? Because the wages of sin is death. Testimonies for the Church, Volume 5, page 676. Wrongs must be called wrongs. Grievous sins must be called by their right name. All of God's people should come nearer to him then will they see sin in the true light and will realize how offensive it is in the sight of God. The plain, straight testimony must live in the church or the curse of God will rest upon His people as surely as it did upon ancient Israel because of their sins. The plain, straight testimony. Now every time I've spoken about this subject, I find that there are those who hold to a misconception. And that's one of the biggest problems I see. They hold to the misconception as to what the church is and what it is not. And, you know, we've studied that before in our series that I mentioned, you know, uh, this is my body defining God's church. So I'm not going to spend time on, on that. That'd just uh, take us way over time. I couldn't do it anyway. Uh, but I encourage you to study it. Um, actually, I, I'm putting it into book form and hopefully it will be available soon. But I will tell you this. Having the right understanding of what the Bible defines as God's church will save people from this corporate accountability that we're reading about if you remain in a fallen church. Because you'll begin to see there is a, a, a line. You'll begin to see the character traits of Christ, and, and they aren't in that church. <laughs> see. And so you'll need to separate. You'll need to come out. Now, it's not an easy thing to separate uh, from a church that you have believed was following the Lord. And, And making such a decision is never easy. It's not easy. Straight is the way, narrow is the path, Jesus told us over and over. It's one of the hardest decisions that a person can make because we were created, we were created as social creatures. And family has ties that run deep. And that's because that's how God created us. He created us as family members. But making the hard decisions and separating from the, the sin and apostasy in a church is seen all throughout the Bible. It's hard as it is to do. We've seen it. There's record of it. The true church has existed, friends, since the days of Adam and Eve. They were the, the first organized church on this earth. And it's been shaken over and over again and been reorganized over and over again. People have been shaken out of the true church, but there have always been some who have faithfully gone through. Were there some people who went through in 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 Jesus' day? Yes. The 12 apostles came right out of the Jewish General Conference Church, didn't they? Which had created a new religious organization. That's what the, the Jews had done. And the head of that organization was Satan. Jesus was the head of the apostolic church. in Revelation 3 and verse 9, notice what Jesus calls them. He says, Behold, I will make them of the synagogue of Satan, which say they are Jews and are not, but do lie. Behold, I will make them to come and worship before thy feet and to know that I have loved thee. There were some people who endured the shaking and accepted the Messiah. That time and stayed with the true church because they stayed with Jesus. Remember, truth is progressive. Some progressed with the truth and the light and wherever Jesus is, there is his church for he's the head of the church. Did the same kind of thing happen in the times of Martin Luther? Yes. You know, Martin Luther was just wanting to reform the church. And that's fine. That's what we should do. We should call for revival and reformation. But when that's Thoroughly rejected, what do you do? What did Martin Luther do? He followed Jesus. Did the same thing happen in the days of of the early Adventists, the hell and white? Absolutely. Were some people, after the great disappointment in 1844, that held on to their faith? There were. They held on to the faith, even though they were disappointed. Beyond measure. And could not understand how God could have allowed such a thing to happen to them. They still clung to Jesus by faith. They hung on. And they weren't a new church. (laughs) They may have needed to be reorganized, but they were still members of the true church because Jesus was with them. They were following him and he's the head. These kind of people, through time, as we've seen them, these people that have come out, these people that were reorganized, these people that followed Jesus, they are called in the Bible a remnant. Is a remnant something new? No, a remnant's not something new. A remnant is something that was there at the beginning, but it's just the last part of the original, you see? (laughs) Now, I want to share a principle with you. It's from the book The Upward Look, page 131. That speaks exactly to this. And this is why we see it in the Bible. Because God has this principle. Notice what she says. The Lord Jesus will always have a chosen people to serve him. When the Jewish people rejected Christ. What did they do? They rejected Christ. The prince of life. He took from them the kingdom of God. And gave it unto the Gentiles. Notice what she says friends. God will continue to work on this principle with every branch of His work. When a church proves unfaithful to the word of the Lord, whatever their position may be, however high and sacred their calling, the Lord can no longer work with them. Others are then chosen to bear important responsibilities. But if these in turn do not purify their lives from every wrong action, if they do not establish pure and holy principles in all their borders, then the Lord will grievously afflict and humble them, and unless they repent, will remove them from their place and make them a reproach. This is a principle. and We see it all throughout the Bible. You know, Jesus has told us, in the parable of the wheat and the tares, for example, that the devil brings his agents into God's church. He plants the tares. They're They're seed from his stock. Okay? And they make a profession of something that's not true. So now you have this group of people all together. Some of them are true. Some of them are not true. And you cannot tell for sure which is which because they all make the same profession. This is what is referred to as the church militant. And it's made up of the wheat of God. Okay? But also the tares. Referred to as the foolish virgins. uh, Referred to as the Laodiceans. But there's a very important point that people miss. It's not made up of open sinners. And it's very important to know that distinction. There are those who will try to tell you that you must not leave a fallen church, because the tares are there. That the tares will be removed at the end of the world. And that's true. But every church may have tares and still be God's church because the tares are from the seed of Satan and not from God's seed. It's when open sin, friends, is allowed to prosper in a church that it becomes a harlot and is fallen. Besides, the, And how does it become a harlot? Well, I may preach on that. That may be necessary to preach on. There are a number of ways that a church becomes a harlot. And becomes fallen. But I want to make that distinction with you so that you're not confused. The church militant will have both wheat and tares, but not open sinners. And it's God that draws a dividing line between the wheat and tares. Notice this, from Signs of the Times article, A Test of Faith, June thirtieth, eighteen 1881. God is honored not so much by the great number as by the character of those who serve him. He appreciates moral worth. He draws the dividing line between those who bear his name by profession and those whose character shows them to be his children. Those who have the fear of God will listen to his counsels and obey them. They will not be content with spurious theories nor build upon false principles to secure the friendship of the world. Yet... At the same time, they will cherish and exemplify those virtues that promote the happiness of the family, the church, and the community. So on one side of the dividing line, there are people who make the profession to be the followers of God, but their profession is not true. On the other side of the dividing line is the true church. They live their profession. They are people who... who who. Uh, Not only profess, but they live out the life of Christ. Their character shows that they are God's children. They obey the Lord, and that's their commandment keepers. And we're so familiar with Revelation 14, 12, right? It says, here are they that keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. They're not ashamed to hold up the banner of Christ. What is that banner? Well, it's the three angels' messages. It's the keeping of the commandments and having the faith of Jesus, of overcoming sin. That's the banner. And this is important, I think, to understand right now, especially if some of you have heard about what's happening in you know, Central and South America and Africa, parts of Asia in the last few years. People are being disfellowshipped from professed Seventh-day Adventist church all over the world for standing up proclaiming the banner, the three angels' messages, for holding up that banner of the keeping of the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. So if the church you belong to should turn on you for calling sin by its right name and and, and remove you, or, or if you do your duty and separate from them because they're wanting you to sacrifice biblical principle, are you to lament and say, oh, no, I'm lost? I'm not in the church anymore. Is that what you should think? Should you think like Brother Colin Standage? They, should you stand outside the door and pound on the door and plead to be let back in? Are the people who keep the commandments of God really out of the church? No. They may be out of an organization. They may be out of a denomination. But are they out of God's church? No. So you love God and keep His commandments, right? Yes. Are you progressing with the truth and trying to live up to all the light that you know? Yes. Are you proclaiming the present truth and sharing with others about Jesus and what's coming to the world? Yes. Then, friends, rest assured, you are in the church of Christ and not in the church of Antichrist. You see, friends, the church of God does not war against those who keep the commandments. Does that make sense? the true church of God does not war against those who keep God's commandments. Any religious organization that persecutes those who are keeping the commandments and have the faith of Jesus, who point out sin and want to be overcomers of sin, saved from their sins, is not the church of Christ, but is the church of Antichrist. Any church that sanctions sin by being indifferent to it or leaving it to leaven within its ranks is not the church of Christ. Notice this. Signs of the Times article, Getting Ready for the Testing Time. Well, that would talk about us, wouldn't it? April 22nd, 1889. Says the prophet, The dragon was wroth with the woman and went to make war with the remnant of her seed. Who's the dragon warring against? The remnant of the woman, Right? which keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. Who's the dragon warring against? Those who are keeping the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. She goes on, we can see from this scripture that it is not the true church of God that makes war with those who keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. Well, if it's not the true church of God, if they're, they're warring against you, you're wanting to keep the commandments, whose church is it? Any religious organization, friends, or religious group that makes war with those who keep the commandments of God and have the faith of Jesus is not the true church by definition. And so then it becomes a duty to separate because they will require you to sacrifice biblical principle to remain. It's just a matter of time before that happens. They're either going to disfellowship you because you're standing for Jesus, or you will will be uh, uh, moved to fulfill your duty and separate. It becomes a duty to leave their corpus, their corporation, their body, their church. Here's another one. The Desire of Ages, page 232. Few are listening for the voice of God and ready to accept truth in whatever guise it may be presented. Often those who follow in the steps of the reformers are forced now get this, often, she says, not rarely, often, those who follow in the steps of the reformers are forced to turn away from the churches they love in order to declare the plain teaching of the word of God. Many times those who are seeking for light are by the same teaching obliged to leave the church of their fathers that they may render obedience, and that's obedience to God. Oh, my friends. If you find yourself in the position that your church is persecuting you for pointing out sin and and maybe even accusing you of being a troublemaker, I want to let you know that you're in good biblical company. The same was done to the prophets of old. The same was done to Jesus. The same was done to His disciples through the ages. Remember what what was... it? Of what Ahab said to to Elijah, you remember that? First Kings eighteen verse seventeen eighteen. Came to pass when Ahab saw Elijah that I Ahab said unto him, Art thou he that troubleth Israel? Aren't you the one that troubles Israel? You're a thorn in my side. You're overzealous. Verse 18, what did Elijah say? He answered, I've not troubled Israel, but thou and thy father's house, in that ye have forsaken the commandments of the Lord. What? What? What have they done? They have forsaken the commandments of the Lord. And thou hast followed Balaam. You see, that's what happens. When you start forsaking the commandments of the Lord, you start idol worship. It's like the law of gravity. If you forsake the commandments of the Lord, if you jump off the house, you're going to fall down. If you forsake the commandments of the Lord, you're going to follow false gods. Because there's only one true God. If you refuse to follow Him, who else are you going to follow? But we know what the Bible says. Elijah had been faithful. He called out sin. He called Israel to repentance. And yet he was accused of being a troubler in the church. So, friends, if that's the situation you find yourself in, you're in good company. You're in good company when you stand on the principles of God and when you keep His commandments. You're in very good company. But what do you do if you find yourself in that situation? Well, you find what the Bible says over and over and over. There has to be a separation. Amos 3.3, Can two walk together lest they be agreed? 2 Corinthians 6, verse 17 18. Wherefore, come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you. He's promising. I'm going to receive you. And I'll be a father unto you. See, there's that family tie. And ye shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. Now, Our reaction to the church after, let's say, we have separated, will also tell why we have separated from them in most cases. You see, some will attack their former church after they've separated or been disfellowshipped. In fact, there are ministries that have made it their purpose to attack their former church. And a lot of times they do it very viciously. And I would ask, what does this say about them? What does this say about them? Well, this tells me that they're, they're bitter because of how they were treated or, or, uh, or, or because they believe that they've lost salvation because they've been removed from that church and they, they see it as being removed from the church role, the book of life. So they're disgruntled. But what kind of witness is that to show the world? Yes, we are to point out sin. We are to lift the standard of holiness. But we're to do so as Jesus has commanded us to do, as Jesus showed us by his own example to do. When you attack Babylon, let's say, in such a ways that it, in such vicious ways, it can make it more difficult to reach those that are still within Babylon with the message that Babylon has fallen and to come out of her. And we can draw lessons of how we are to react and treat a, a fallen church by comparing the two kings in the Old Testament of Saul and David. Now, I'm going to speak in greater detail about that the next time we get together. But before I close up here, just a moment. Contemplate the scenario of that. Saul and David. You have Saul who was anointed of God to be king. Right? Saul then disobeyed the Lord and this grieved the Lord. God then told Samuel to anoint David to be king. So in a spiritual sense, there were now two churches in Israel. There was the professed church, led by the anointed Saul, and the true church, led by the anointed David. So think about how each reacted towards the other, and it gives us insight upon what our attitudes should be. And again, I'll get more into it next time. But it's really fascinating, and it's, it's eye-opening for us who live in this time of earth's history. And as you've heard me say before uh, on many occasions, friends, the best place for us to be, as individuals, as people, the best place for us to be is where Jesus wants us to be. Jesus doesn't want us to be in a fallen church. Thus, the call by him to separate from it. He wants us to stay on his path, to abide in him, to walk by faith with him. A couple more things here. Patriarchs and Prophets, pages 166-167 again. She says, There was a coming out, a decided separation from the wicked, an escape for life. So it was in the days of Noah, so with Lot, so with the disciples prior to the destruction. I would also add, so with the Reformers, so with the pioneers of the Advent movement. And so it will be in the last days. We're living in the last days, aren't we? As in the days of Noah and Lot, there must be a marked separation from sin and sinners. It's got to be a marked separation. We need to we need to see the seriousness of this, and we need to really contemplate it. What do you do about a sin a church in sin? The Lord lays it out. As I close up, I leave you with this scripture out of John ten. Verses 11 to 16. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep. But he that is a hireling and not the shepherd, whose own the sheep are not, seeth the wolf coming and leaveth the sheep and fleeth. And the wolf catcheth them and scattereth the sheep. The hireling fleeth because he is a hireling and cares not for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. And know my sheep and am known of mine. As the Father knoweth me, even so I the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. And other sheep I have which are not of this fold, them also I must bring. And they shall hear my voice, and there shall be one fold and one shepherd. Friends, those who continually look to Jesus and follow Jesus know His voice. And I say let's listen to the voice of our shepherd and follow him because he's the shepherd of the true fold. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you so very, very much for this Holy Sabbath day. We thank you for the opportunity again we have to study from your Holy Word. This has been a very, very, and is a very, very serious topic. There are very serious, uh, solid principles that you lay out on what we must do when we find that a sin, a church is in sin. So I pray for extra uh, blessings from the Holy Spirit to give us wisdom and discernment and understanding and compassion and to, to help us to know that we can trust you fully in what, what, we, what you say and what we've read that you've said for us to do. Be near those who are maybe by themselves out and have taken a stand. and Make them understand and have a, an understanding that though to the earth and people of the world it may look like you're alone when you stand for Jesus, but you have all heaven on your side. And Father, we thank you so much for that. We thank you again for the Sabbath day. We thank you for your wonderful blessings in giving us your Son. And we thank you, Lord, that you love us so. Please continue to be with us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen and amen.